Hey everyone, welcome to this week's Bible Discoveries, The Weekend Show. So on this show, you know, we are reading through the Bible every year with Bible Discovery. We have a physical Bible guide that you can get. We have a daily television program that reads you a portion of that daily assigned reading and gives you a bit of a Bible study on that that I do with my dad and my mom and my older brother. But on The Weekend Show, me and my husband, Matlock, we talk about big issues that pop up as we're reading through the scripture. So things that we don't really have time to address on the daily program. We also like to answer viewer questions and discuss viewer comments as well. So today, Matlock, why don't you let them know where our weekly reading landed us? Yes, our weekly reading, if you're uh, tagging along. <laughs> it was Ephesians 3 to 1 Thessalonians 3. Yes. So the questions we have today pertaining to that reading involve whether or not the church is perfect, right, in Ephesians 5. Mm -hmm. It pertains to um, whether or not you follow, a, uh, if you follow a false teacher, if are you still saved? If you believe in false doctrine, are you still saved? And also pertaining to what does that statement mean in Philippians 2, where it says, work out your own salvation. What does that mean? Big questions. However, no big question today, like we usually have. Usually we have a big question at the beginning of the show. Uh, we state it and then we answer at the end. Today, there's no big question if you're new to this. And uh, we're just going to jump in. Let's jump in. You want to jump in? in? Okay, Corey, let's I do it. I think so. <laughs> All right, so let's do the first viewer question. It's from RK. Okay. All right? Yep. It's regarding Ephesians 5.27. And Matthew 5.48. Yes. All right. August 18th program, you stated the church that no church is perfect. I respectfully disagree. Christ is coming after a perfect church. Ephesians 5.27. That he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it would be holy and without blemish. Jesus told us in Matthew 5, verse 48, be ye therefore perfect even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. We must be perfect, for we know that sin can never enter heaven. So we can be perfect through Christ. Amen. Okay. So, Corey, what do you think? Agree to disagree? Or actually, we agree, but there might be some confusion. What do you think is going on there? No, this, this verse has been stripped completely out of context. All right, go ahead. Okay. So, the whole point of the verse... Hebrews, I mean, Ephesians 5, verse 27, is that the church is not perfect and Christ had to die for the church. It's his perfection that the church receives. This is the whole point because this is, uh, you're, you're ripping this out of the context of wives and husbands and, and this idea of submitting and how submission looks different between wives and husbands, but it's this submission of the will. It's this yielding of your self-will to live in peace and harmony with the other person. So the context of uh, Ephesians 5 verse 27 Let's go back to verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Is the point of this passage that your wife needs to be perfect? I mean, Matt, like, I know I'm your wife and I'm close, right? Right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. 
Definitely just kidding. But um, the, the point of this passage is not that your wife is perfect, therefore you need to die for her because she's perfection. It's the opposite. Christ loved us while we were still sinners. He died for us. And it's his righteousness, his death and resurrection that we put on like a garment. Not that we are perfect, but that now we have those spotless garments. This hearkens us back to Zechariah chapter 3 in the Old Testament, where the high priest Joshua is standing before God in heaven. It's this vision that Zechariah is given, and he's standing there in dirty garments. And Satan is accusing him and God changes out his garments for white ones, for clean ones. Joshua had nothing to offer God, just himself in dirty garments. And then God gives him clean garments. We as human beings have nothing of value. We do not have righteousness generated within ourselves. It is all stained because of sin, our sin and our selfishness. And God gave us the righteousness of Jesus Christ, these clean and righteous and spotless garments to put on. So the idea here, Paul is not saying, husbands, you need to give your lives for your wives because they are obviously perfection. (coughs) He's saying, no, no. Just as Christ gave himself for flawed humanity, you give yourself for your flawed wife because that's what a marriage covenant is about okay and so so this is this is what he's using it for so i no no we're not we are not perfect in the sense that we are perfect and therefore christ loves us it's it's in fact the opposite and i mean when we go to first john 1 right what does it say first john 1 verse 8 if we say we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I was about to read that. Continue to read verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then it goes one step further, verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So, RK, I disagree with your disagreement uh, because I think that you're, you're, um, I, th- I think posing this question, uh, when we, when we talked on the August 18th program that no church is perfect, what we're saying is that we on our own are like Joshua. Our good deeds are stained with our sin. Our clothes, our righteousness in and of ourselves is stained. We are not perfect. We ha- we have sin. We have sin. And it is Christ who is our righteousness. And yes, there's an ongoing uh, process of sanctification where Jesus is making us, God, you know, through his Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ is making us more like him, but it's a process and we still struggle with sin. I mean, you look at Paul, oh, wretched man that I am. He still struggled with sin and he was the apostle, right? So we strive to follow God. We strive for his goodness and his perfection. (coughs) But at the end of the day, we're not resting in our works for salvation. We are resting in Christ's works for our salvation. So um, I disagree with this disagreement. Uh, You put a smiley face at the end of that. You also said, so we can be perfect through Christ. It's Christ's perfection still on us. It's not as if that perfection is generated in us through sanctification 
It's we will receive a full adoption of sons. We will receive full sanctification in the new heavens and the new earth when we, you know, are, are standing in the fullness of our salvation. Does that make sense? What I'm trying to say there? Yeah. Do you have anything to add? Um, yeah, I'm just going to, I'm going <laughs> to read this verse one more time. Yeah. Because I think that in verse 25, um, not verse 25, what is it? Because you're, uh, yeah, verse 27, when he's talking about this thing, uh, the, you, you talk about uh, Ephesians 5, uh, 25, 27 of the husband-wife relationship. What the final consummation? He's talking about the future. He's yeah. not talking about right now. Mm. So this be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. That line, it, it's this, it's not necessarily about, like you were saying, progressiveness, moving forward as Christ is sanctifying you. It's about the final day when the church is presented to Christ because of his, what he's done for us. Yes. So it is about Christ through and through. It absolutely In, of, is. and through Christ. It is not about, you know, something that we have to do. Now, at the same time, I don't think that he means to say that because he does say, so we can be perfect through Christ. Amen. In other words, it's Christ's work. I think that he means, though, that our perfection through Christ, it is through Christ. I think he means that. Right, I, but he but the, the 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 initial disagreement is dishonest because on the August 18th program we weren't saying, oh well, no church is perfect, therefore we'll just always be imperfect. The 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 idea of no church is perfect is the fact that when you go to a church, it's made up of people. And yeah. people have sin. Even Christians have sin. We are in a struggle. Right. So you you can't say all churches that 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 legitimately have people who are saved and and follow the word they're perfect because Jesus said God right. you know Paul says in Ephesians 5:27 that Jesus is presenting himself a church to himself perfect without spot or blemish or wrinkle you, you can't say that because it's like it's the now not yet right like we are not yet fully sanctified we are not now living in the new heavens and the new earth we, the church is still made up of sinful people who have who have by God's mercy and grace, right. have been able to put on Christ's righteousness like a garment, and and we're aiming to live up to that, right? Like right. God is helping us, but you're still going to make mistakes in the here and now, right? Just because we're still in the here and now, we're still in a fallen world, we're still in our fallen condition, right? Yeah, I, I think that at the core of what you're saying, because I disagree with some of the some of the other things, but I think at the core of what you're saying, you're right. Um, is about Christ through and through, and it's not really about what we're. It's not, we're not mm -hmm. meriting anything there. Mm -hmm. um, the points I disagree with are really a, they're inconsequential for today's discussion. It's a whole other day. I don't want <laughs> to get, get into. We it. can. No, I, well, well, we'll see. But uh, anyways, I think that I think you've pretty much answered the question. Uh, I think that too, when we think about perfection, we're really thinking about glorification. Right. I think that's what we think of. I don't think we're thinking of. Um, people who are morally perfect now because it just sure. doesn't happen because as you already read first john people who say they're without sin are just liars because yeah. everyone has sinned and that's obvious right? right so um so what we're dealing we're dealing with perfection we're dealing with glorification specifically and that's what you're highlighting you think that's good yes yes why what's up no i'm just curious i now i'm very curious as to what you disagree with in the in the fact that do you do you agree with RK that we should say. No, I'm not disagreeing with anything. Everything? How? No, I'm disagreeing with some of the points you brought up to support the reason why RK is wrong, such as being fully sanctified, all these different things that is impossible to be fully sanctified now. Like, I, I've yet to broach that issue, but there's points in scripture that you highlight. You think you can be perfect on this side of heaven, on this side of No, I, I, I don't think 
full sanctification necessitates perfection. Okay. So sure. I, I think it's different. Well, yeah, I think, we I wanna, that's why I said that perfection. That's why I didn't want to get into it. Perfection is more akin to glorification. The final state, the adoption sonship, when we're, our bodies are redeemed and we're in heaven. That's what that's dealing with. Okay. So you're right. you're you're just taking issue with the terminology when we're. Yeah, and there's no point to get into it now. Got it. Right. Got it. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. It's it's like <laughs> in principle. We agree. Right. In principle, yeah. terminology. How you answered RK, I think, is right. That's what I'm saying. But, yeah. RK, I, right. I, hope you're, I hope you're satisfied with that, RK. If you're not, let me know. Let me know. <coughs> let me know what you think. Okay, Matlock, right. it's your turn. I'm going to flip the script here right. on you from Philippians 1, verse 15 to 18. Dave asks this, can you be saved and still follow a false teacher or a false doctrine? How would someone know if they are following a false teacher? Okay. These are actually good questions. Yeah, they're great questions. All right. Is this from Dave? Yep. Um, I'm going to say it depends. It's like a yes and no answer because can you be saved and still follow false teacher? Like the prosperity doctrine or gospel, whatever it is. Like, can you be, the question is a matter of sincerity. Can you be sincerely deceived, misunderstand what this person is saying, but still follow Christ in other ways that are true, but you're deceived in this one area? Uh, I think that's possible. Um, I also think it's possible to believe in a false doctrine, okay? Not a false doctrine at the core, like you can't believe that like, Christ isn't God, but like perhaps doctrines that aren't necessarily true, but you believe them to be true when you probably shouldn't believe in them at all. Um, you, some people call this secondary doctrines or tertiary doctrines, doctrines that don't uh, rip out the, ne the, the necessities of the faith. Um, anyways, so I would say that it's possible but obviously, obviously, it's not optimal. It's not something that we should want to stay in. And if you're actually persisting in the spirit and in truth, and that's what you're searching for, I believe that God will pull you out of these situations and make you see the light. And then you have a decision and it's a trial to make. In other words, we put in a situation where you have to realize, am I going to choose what's true or am I going to choose what I like or what's, you know, what is more preferable or in line with my passions or appetites or whatever? Um, so I believe we're, we're put through trials and sometimes our own reason can be at fault. And so we have to submit to God in obedience and in humility, knowing that God is bigger and above us so that we have to lower ourselves and put, know that God's higher than us. Um, and so, but I think those are threshold, those are um, like keystone moments in life where you realize, okay, if I walk through this door, I'm going to start adopting more false doctrines, right? It's like, sorry, let me repeat that. If I walk through this door, unconsciously, you don't know about the future, but if you walk through this door but believing these false doctrines, down this path is is potential to adopt more false doctrines, and that's possible. But at these moments, these keystone moments, there's an option also not to walk through the door and not to go down that path. And I think there's opportunities for that if you're uh, unceasing in prayer, if you're living a sanctified life, and you're continuously growing in Christ, if you're actually doing these things. I think sometimes these happen to everybody, but the moments happen so, path, uh, so fast, and people don't even care enough to uh, think about whether or not they're happening. And then all of a sudden they're in the thick of something and they're like, how did I get here? And there were so many signs along the way that they were too hardened of hearts to, to see or to listen to. Um, so I think people can sincerely go down the wrong path and then kind of come back kind of thing. So that's what I'm saying. So it's like, I don't think that, so the answer is yes and no, as I'm saying, it just depends on the situation. I know that's pretty vague, not giving any examples, because I think it's hard to give hard-lined examples on these issues. I think it's always very contextual, subtextual, and circumstantial. Um, 
Having said that, there are some false doctrines and false teachings that lead to death. Jesus talks about this, right? Uh, false beliefs, yeah. False beliefs, right? So there's things that aren't good that you should not do, you should not follow. Um, and so like those things, idolatry is for one, yeah. right? So it's like, obviously you should worship only God, but also idolatry of yourself, yeah. putting yourself above God, yeah. um, which is the easiest, not the easiest, but it's the most common form of idolatry, I should say, especially yeah. today. Um, so I would say there's different elements that you could fall down. And in that sense, idolatry, um, uh, vanity, you know, pride and all those things um, can come out in different ways, right? So uh, a false teacher is inherently prideful and vain. Has to be. There is no way around it. Um, and a, a false doctrine is designed to make you become more idolatrous. So... When you're looking at the trajectory and the, and the, uh, of these doctrines, and you're looking at, okay, if I believe this, what then happens next? If, right? Where is this leading me towards? Is this point to Christ? Is this leading me to repentance? Is this leading me towards humility, towards obedience, towards the facets of the Christian life that are valuable, that Christ has ordained for us to live within? Um, obviously, then those are good things. If it's leading you towards, oh, just enjoy this passion here and there. Oh, it doesn't matter. You know, you are God. You're, you're like, you know, and they start blending ideas with, um, uh, you know, man-made ideas with, uh, uh, you know, human tradition with uh, God's word. It's 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 not very specific. Or changing it's God's word to make it mean something. Yes. Didn't intend the, to mean. Right. Because then you're making God in your own image. You're right. making him an idol, right? Not actually God anymore. Yes. And I think the the reason why it's difficult to say how would someone know if they're following false teacher is because it comes down to following the patterns of behavior and, and the trajectory of the teachings where are they going towards i think that those are those are two elements uh, that more help are more helpful for identifying something that's false so for instance a prosperity doctrine will teach that you know you pay money and you'll get blessings and rewards give me money right give Give, uh, and God will give you money. And God will give you money. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, well, we know that that's not always true. And you can't make it like a blanket but statement. Not, but, right. But not only is it not true in reality. Right. But it's not true in the scripture. Right. And so that's where I would go. I would go even more simple than just looking at the logical outworkings of your belief. Because I think that that is, I think that that is valid. But for people who maybe grew up in false right. teaching or false doctrine, or they're completely, you need to know the word. Like you need to know the Bible right. and what it actually says so that you can know if someone is teaching you something false or if you're believing false. Right. And when I say know the Bible and read the Bible, I don't just mean like read it once because I have acquaintances like that who are like, I don't need to read the Bible. I already know it. I've already read it once. My dad was a preacher. I already, I already read it once. And I, I now I just listen to good sermons and I know what's right and I know what's wrong because I've read it once. Well, that's not how human memory works, right? We all know that that our memory can be swayed by different experiences that we have. It can be swayed by time. So unless it's something that you're repeating over and over and over, your memory of what is actually in there is going to be changed and could be swayed. So we need to be people, if we're serious about God, we need to be people who read the Bible often, and come back to it and come back to it with an open mind. Um, also that we're not just reading it, we're also thinking about what we're reading. What does this intend to say? 
What did it mean when it was written? What does that mean for a life application today? And then we also need to listen to other views. It's a helpful thing, you know, once you get into, when you get into like different issues, different theological issues, different different things, it is helpful to listen to other opinions or Christians who disagree with you. If you're in a, de a denomination, listen to other denominations. It's good to see the other views of things um, because that, that, that keeps you from just being in like an echo chamber where you're only hearing your own ideas and the, and the, the ideas of people who agree with you. What are the ar other arguments out there? But yeah, needing to stay. But I, but yeah. I also like, I, I, a hundred percent believe that no matter where you've heard the gospel, whether it's you know whether it's 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 tainted with false teaching or or um, teaching that's not right about the gospel, maybe it's not false, maybe it's not false teaching, but it's not quite right. It's not quite right biblically. <coughs> if you approach God with sincerity, He will find you. Yeah, He will lead well, you out of stuff. Like and and that. It, it's partially this is why I'm saying like unceasing prayer. What I've mentioned earlier is actually so vital. Yeah, because. Okay, so you're talking about reading the Bible, that's great, but we all know everyone has different interpretations of Scripture, and not everyone's interpretation of Scripture is right. Yeah. And so when someone, if someone lacks the discernment to be able to see which interpretation of Scripture is right, so you say there's, there's a whole other approach that comes with that. There's a whole other way of looking at, at things that comes with that as opposed to just being like, oh, reading your Bible, understanding your Bible. It, like, it, there's so much of it relies on the Spirit and trusting in God, like you were saying. So much of it. It's not just... Uh, reading and understanding it's also like i said unceasing prayer and um yeah it has to be it has to be together yes it has to be together but you can't just go on like your gut and your intuition it, god will god will through the holy spirit enable you to have bad feelings about certain teachers but right. you have to make sure with scripture has to be our backbone so we go back yes. to it as an authority to make sure that we're we're properly understanding the voice of God, that we're right. properly understanding those intuitions about teachers and, and, right. and things of that nature. Um, but I just want to I just want to bring us to Philippians one verse fifteen to eighteen because I actually think this is not talking about false teachers. Yeah, are you going to read it? Perfect. Yeah. Good. So Philippians one verse fifteen to eighteen says this: Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So Paul is talking about him being imprisoned. He's literally imprisoned. And there's people who are preaching the gospel out of goodwill, and there's people who are preaching the gospel to, 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 to because they've disagreed with Paul in some areas, and they're preaching the gospel and converting people and being like, see, Paul, we were right, not you. So they're, they're doing it out of the wrong motivations, but they're still preaching the actual gospel. They're not, they're not false teachers in that they're preaching false things about the Bible for greed and gain. They're actually, these people are actually preaching Christ, but their motivations are wrong because they're trying to stick it to Paul, not grow the kingdom of God for the sake of growing the kingdom of God. Yes. Which I think is really interesting because at, at this point, um, this is a good thing. As long as Christ is preached, Paul is happy, right? Because right. it's, it's. but um, that's that doesn't, 
take away from the conversation that there are false teachings and there all are false teachers. Right. There's a lot of areas it, in the New Testament that talk about the motives of false teachers and things like this. And it's always greed for money yes. or power, influence. Self-gain and self-gratification are the two yeah. biggest ones. And yeah. they're usually for false teachers. Yes. Yeah, right. And then also... Um, uh, usually, and with that, it's obviously self-idolatry. It's idolatry of yeah. some kind yes. versus humility yes. is the opposite. So it's like if someone's teaching humility, repentance, obedience, and these different things, that offers a better pathway uh, towards, you know, I'm talking big scope here. That's a better trajectory towards uh, godly living than people who offer trajectory towards uh, self-gratification and self-gain and things that, you know, uh, delusions of grandeur. Like, oh, you're like, you're everyone's God's children, right? It's like all these things that are like, okay, you're just, that just makes you sound important, but that's not what actually the Bible says. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like um, different things. I, there is something to be said though, and going back to your first part, sorry we're taking so long in this. It's actually kind of the big question. Uh, can you be saved and still follow a false teacher, false doctrine? Something that I think is really interesting is everyone's got blind spots and everyone has, I would even say, an invincible blindness, which is, uh, it's a Catholic term, but it, I think it makes a lot of sense. And what that means is, um, People are blind to things and they can't see their another way around it. So in other words, they were taught something at a young age and every time they read the Bible, that's all they can see is what they were taught and they can't see outside of it. And they might be there, spend their whole lives just seeing that, right? Um, and so your point earlier about reading the Bible every time with an open mind, but what is the Spirit and Christ saying, actually saying here? What's the intent, yeah. right? Use that as your transformation, right? Seeing the other views is helpful. Because sometimes, especially at this time, right, because I know other views can be wrong and we have to rely heavily on the Holy Spirit to help navigate those interpretations. But hearing the other views are useful um, because what if your view is the wrong one, right? So it's important to hear the other views. Two, uh, iron sharpens iron. That's just the way it is. So that it's always a a good thing to do. Um, So I would say, you know, we all got blind spots and some of us have invincible blind spots, Right. And it's just the, the way it is for now. But I think Christ, what does it say in 1 Corinthians 3? Um, uh, that uh, people who make their house of gold and precious metals, when, when it goes in the fire, the judgment seat, judgment of God, uh, it'll be fine. But some people make their, their livelihood, uh, their lifestyles, their beliefs out of sticks and stones and it just and hay and straw, and it just burns up. In other words, there'll be some things that some people have that some people believe in that'll be made of sticks and hay and things that are easily destroyed. But some beliefs, core beliefs, ought to be made of metal and uh, precious gold so that when it goes in the fire, it's it's purified and not destroyed. Um, and I think that's what's happening here. So it's like, and Paul's using that line, 1 Corinthians 3, in regard to salvation, right? You will be, The person will be saved as though through fire. So in other words, some people have false beliefs, they'll burn up, but the person himself will be saved as though through fire. And I think that, um, that applies for uh, having, because, you know, there's false teachers and there's people who believe in, uh, there's, there's false teachings and false doctrines, and then there's people who believe in doctrines falsely or or have misunderstood or are wrong, wrong doctrines. And the difference between those two is that a false teaching actually takes you away from God. It takes you away from Christ, Christ crucified, whatever it is, redemption. Christ is not God, whatever it is. Um, the core stuff, the false doctrines will take you away from that. A, a misunderstanding uh, or, 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 or a wrong doctrine, let's say, is something that, you know, you often hear Reformed guys say secondary. So it's like, let's say, the other, last week I talked about uh, uh, biblical uh, atonement, uh, unlimited atonement. I think that is secondary. Don't think that's a primary concern. 
I think that is a misunderstanding of the text. That said, it doesn't mean that they're false teachers. It just means I think they got that doctrine wrong. If that, I hope that makes sense. So there's a difference there, and because it doesn't affect the fundamental uh, aspects of the faith. That's how you, and, and that's really important for just keeping unity in this process because you don't want to call everyone a false teacher and just gunslinging around. This guy's a false teacher. This guy's a false teacher. It's like at some point you just become a false teacher for calling everyone false teachers. <laughs> so um, so we have to watch out. We have to look for unity as we have to aim for unity at all, at all costs. At the same time, not at the expense of what's true and what's uh, of God. We can't uh, dismiss the values. So we move uh, in that direction as far as we can. So that would be my final word of caution around this. And, All right. Yeah. All right. I think that's good. All Let's right. move on right. to Let's Philippians 2, All verse right. 12 to 13. So All this right. is sure. another Bible question for Matlock uh, from MP. It says, what does Paul mean by work out your own salvation? Do you have to work for your salvation? Okay. So this is Philippians 2, verse 12 to 13. Yeah. So let's read it. Yeah. So Philippians 2. Good idea. Verses 12, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in the presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Fear, oh, sorry, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning. Okay. Now, as you see here, very clearly, what is Paul saying? Paul's not saying, oh, you're meriting your salvation. He's not saying that. He's not saying you work for it, right? Might be the same word, but words can be used to, in so many different contexts to mean something else. So it, just because we see the word work, it doesn't mean that you're working for your salvation. So let's read it again. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In other words, when you're working out your own salvation with fear and trembling, it's God working in you. I think this is even Ephesians 2. Uh, it's God who's doing the work within you, right? It's not uh, It's not you who's just like doing all this stuff on your own. God's working in you and with you and for you. So here we go to Ephesians 2. This is a very famous one. Uh, verses 8 to 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. This is a free gift. You can read Romans. This is a free gift of God. For all who accept it, right? Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay, so hear that. You've been saved through grace, through faith, the free gift, right? You have faith in Christ. You got a free gift of salvation from God. Not a result of works. Not like you're doing something. Not like you're just, you know, you're going, oh, if I work nine to five, therefore God owes me my salvation at the end of the day, right? It's not like that. It's not working. But what is he saying? We were created as Christ's workmanship for good works, okay? Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We ought to walk in these good works. So we have salvation and we ought to walk in these good works. That's what he's saying. So work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Um, or as God who's working in you, has to do with God working in you and not restraining and not um, quelching or quenching the Holy Spirit. Let God work within you. Uh, what is? I wish I had the lines about quenching the Holy Spirit. There's tons of lines, uh, you can look it up, about people uh, squelching or quenching the Holy Spirit and not allowing God to fully work within them, not, not allowing God to sanctify them. They're, just, they're doing their own thing. 
you often read about people who were doing completely immoral things. And then Paul says, I could cast, cast these wicked men away. So the destruction of the flesh, but, uh, but for the salvation of the soul. So the point here I'm just trying to make is, in a roundabout way, is that this is not working for your salvation, to answer you directly. It's not about meriting something. You're not, oh, if I work yeah. nine to five, if I work from the moment I said, I believe in you, Christ, to the end of my life, right? Therefore, you now owe me salvation. You're not earning it. I think that's really important. Yeah, no, this is about obedience yes, to God. Exactly. So when it's saying, like, work out your faith, it's like you, we, we have been saved through Christ, and now we have to live our lives. So this is about being obedient. And how do we know? It, it, <coughs> the context is there, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So this is about obeying. Obeying what? Well, we go back... If we go back to the to the whole context of Philippians 2, um, Paul's talking about them remaining humble. Like just because you're saved, just because you're children of God, just because you're heirs of salvation, doesn't mean all of a sudden you're amazing and you're above reproach and you're above obedience to God and his morality, right? Uh, let's, let's just read a chunk of it. We're going to start in Philippians 2 verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. All right? So in the light of Jesus Christ, who could have claimed heavenly rights, instead humbled himself and became obedient to the path that God had for him. So now to the Philippians, don't consider your salvation and your co-heirship with Christ in the heavenly kingdom as something to boast about. Instead, be humble and be obedient to God in every life circumstance that he has for you. And we find out that it's going to be very <coughs> difficult because then we, we, we jump down to verse 14 after he's called them to obedience with fear and trembling. He says in verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing, right? Jesus Christ didn't have an easy path. And yet he did it without grumbling or disputing or claiming his rights. Verse 15, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So this is about being like Christ. Yes. It's about Christ, even though he could have claimed his equality with God, instead decided to 
humble himself and become obedient to the purpose that God had for him, even until the point of death, even death on a cross. So the Philippians need not consider their salvation, their co-heirship in the kingdom of God as something to, you know, make them better than I should not suffer. I should not struggle. I should not all the, no, be humble and consider this, work out this, this with, with that fear and trembling. They have to live in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom they're going to shine right. as lights in the world. And it, so it's about being like Christ. And then you hear what Paul says there. He goes, holding fast to the word of life, yes. which is Christ. Yeah. So that in the day of Christ, judgment day, I may be proud yeah. that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. In other words, the work that he's doing is for not. There's yeah. all this stuff, right? So it's like, so that's it. So it's like he may be proud, not in himself, not in his own works, but for what Christ did for him, because Christ is working through you. Yeah. So this is the part, this is the, this is the process that people always find it so difficult to understand, is that the Holy Spirit indwells you. It is the Holy Spirit, God, who indwells you. God from there is encouraging you to do good works. Yeah. He's encouraging you to do the will of God. He's encouraging you to study his word. He's encouraging you to these things, to his works, his word, his will, and his ways. That's the whole point. But, and he's also, he, he, he has called you to live your life righteously, no matter what you're going through, yeah. physically or emotionally around you, right? Yeah. Like Christ said, pick up your cross and follow me. And that's directly what this is talking yes. about, right? It, In Philippians 2, where it's like, you're going to, just as God had a purpose for Christ, and it was very difficult. So God has a purpose for you. And it may be and, very difficult. And, and what, is, what does it say in Ephesians, what the purpose is? Good works. Yeah. You're, you were designed from the beginning for good works. Yes. That, what we've kind of missed here along the way somehow uh, is that we've kind of made, oh, the whole point is just salvation, which it is. Having said that, what does salvation look like, right? It's yeah. just, oh, I'm saved. So I'm going to sit here. I don't need to do anything. Yeah, we're here. We're good. Good to go. It's like, well, that's not what Christ did. Christ, okay, Christ no, saved you. we join Christ in his mission. Right, we participate. Yeah. We're, partic we're, we're participants in Christ. He is uh, uh, working through us, right, so that we can do good work. We're doing his will. The light shines in the darkness. That's the whole point. Who is the light? Christ within us, the Holy Spirit, right? So we bring the light. Who, who uh, ever stands in a hill without a land, right? It can be seen everywhere. Uh, can't be, you can't really hide it. And that's kind of the, the whole principle here is that the, the difficulty people have with all these discussions is that it's not you and God um, frictionlessly side by side. Like he indwells you, but there's, there's, that's it. Uh, it is about God working in and through and of you, essentially. Like he's working in all matters. God is trying to work through you, but you still have a will to restrain and to quench, uh, to quench and to squelch the Holy Spirit. I keep saying quench, quench, squelch. <laughs> One of those words. Anyways, you can still put it down. That's what I'm trying to say. You can still uh, uh, <coughs> restrain them. So that's, I think that's, uh, I think that answers the question. We kind of went overboard with it. But yeah, I think so. So, Corey, let me ask you another question then. <laughs> Please. Okay. I'm so, setting myself up for it right now. All right. So we're going to do Colossians 2. Okay. Right, which is uh, uh, verses 20 to 23, and it involves asceticism and fasting. Okay? Mm -hmm. And... Uh, the question is, it's a Bible question, so it's not a viewer question. 
If Paul said that asceticism and submitting to regulations... Oh, we skipped one. Are we purposefully uh, skipping uh, You know what? This is my fault. The, uh, Colossians 2 comes before. The next one's Colossians 3. Got it. Okay, so, I was preparing for the wrong one. Go ahead. It's okay. Out are you order. sure? Keeping me on my toes. Keeping We're you good. on your toes? Yeah, We're sorry. Good. It was in the wrong order, so I decided to go in the okay. right order. Okay. 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 So, my apologies. Let me start again. <laughs> if Paul said that asceticism and submitting to regulations is not helpful for stopping the indulgence of the flesh... Why is fasting acceptable? And this was regarding Colossians 2, verses 20 to 23. Right. So you want me to read it for you, actually? Just Please do, yeah. Okay, so Colossians 2, verses uh, 20 to 23. If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used according to the human precepts and teachings. These are have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so this, uh, I don't think this <coughs> applies to fasting because what Paul is dealing with in Colossians 2 is false teaching that said you have to do these things in order to attain salvation. You have to do these yes. things. You have to follow these regulations. You have to follow these laws. You have to follow these principles or else you're not saved. So it's a form of legalism. Do this and be saved. Don't do this and you're damned regardless of, what, of, of the faith that you have in Jesus Christ, right? So if we go back to Colossians 2, Verses 6 to, we're probably going to read to. <coughs> oh, man. I still got that tickle. Oh, tickling your throat. Eh? That's, yeah. that's brutal. Congested. We're going to go to 15. We're going to go all the way 6 to 15. Are you ready? Oh, <laughs> Here we yeah? go. Okay. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him, you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is the gospel. This is the good news, right? That Christ has set us free from the law, from the law of sin and death. We no longer have to follow, uh, follow laws like this, right? 
So then he goes on in verse 16, therefore let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So these things all point, the things in the Mosaic law, they pointed to Christ. They are not Christ himself. They pointed to him, but he is the substance of them and he has fulfilled them and freed us. He's freed us from them, right? Verse 18, let no one disqualify you insisting on aestheticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. So that that's where the question picks up. Yeah. Right. So, but that's the back context that we are, we are set free from, from these laws. So fasting is not a law, right? Fasting is not something that we do to earn our salvation. It certainly can be false. We see this in Isaiah chapter 58, uh, false fasting, unrighteous fasting. We know that there were groups that were opposing Jesus, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, who routinely fasted, and yet they did not accept Christ. So there is a version of fasting that's not acceptable to God, that's not good. It's not that fasting is leading towards salvation. Fasting is is more of a spiritual discipline that you can adopt. You don't have to, but you can adopt it (coughs) in line with a saving saving faith in Christ. So it's not, again, it's one of these things that you can adopt it as a spiritual discipline to help you develop your prayer life. But I mean, what does Jesus teach on it? You know, it's, it's the same with praying. You know, when he's talking in the Gospels, he teaches that you don't pray in public to, to, to have people be like, oh, wow, you're so holy. You're so, you must have such a good relationship with God because your words are just, they flow so well. You're so righteous. You know the word. You're amazing. If that's why you're praying, you've received your reward, right? You pray to God, not to people. In the name of God. And he says the same with fasting. Anoint your face with oil. Don't make it look like you're fasting. Because if you're fasting so that people are like, you are so holy. You've got your reward. You're fasting for people then. You're fasting for yourself. You're not fasting for God. So um, we have to balance all of that out. Where uh, fasting in and of itself, it's not a command. We don't have to to do it but if we if we do do it there are ways that we do it that make it not that that make it jive well with salvation through faith in right. Jesus Christ if you know what i'm saying I understand. Did I explain so, that correctly? Yeah, yeah, or like in a in a good yeah, way yeah there's different ways to kind of look at this because on one hand it's like okay yes yeah, self uh, fasting is an, like i think is an impulsive and automatic response to some situations you might occur in life yeah. you might be like okay we're in a spiritual warfare Right, we need to fast and pray. Like yep. some things, it's just a natural response. Like in the same way, where you hear something that makes your your, your gut turn, yes. maybe sick, makes you sick to your stomach. You don't want to eat, so it's like fasting is like a direct thought from that. It's like a direct uh, result or um, effect. I don't know how you want to say it, but it, it aligns itself with that. Anyways, so it's like okay, something spiritually detrimental is happening here. We're gonna fast. That's why people fast and pray in sackcloth and ashes because uh, it's the morning. A- it's yeah. morning. Right, but it's also uh, a prayer for um, uh, protection and or, or a plea for. Thank you, a plea for God's intercession. Thank mm-hmm. you. Um, 
And that's why that's so important. So it's, it's like, not like it's not like a hunger strike where you're like, God, I'm not going to eat until you do something. It's more about like disciplining your body and your mind, right. and that's where it can get weird off into aestheticism if you let it. Right? If you're if you're like, I need God to respond to me, therefore I will do this, and A plus B equals right. God will answer, <coughs> or or I need to show my righteousness, and therefore those right. are bad. That is a bad motive, right? right. Not good motive. Right. Uh, but but there are good motives for fasting such as I'm going to dedicate more time to prayer and I'm going to physically discipline myself in my mind, in my body to seek God in prayer. Yeah, self-control. Yes. It helps, if it helps you develop self-control, then that's a great, that's a great thing to do. Yes. Uh, it's about the spiritual things. It's not necessarily just about, oh, I'm doing this, therefore I get, a, I, I get, a, I earn something out of it. Yeah. So anyways, I think you hit it on the head and All let's right. just keep going. Corey. Yes. Last question of the day. Colossians 3, verse 22. Okay. If Paul was against slavery, why did he tell slaves to obey their earthly slave masters? Yes. Why did he just rebel? Like, what's going on there? Why is it like, hey, slavery's wrong. (laughs) Just just don't listen (laughs) to Overthrow the Roman Empire. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, okay. Uh, Colossians 3, verse 22. Bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. I don't know if that, if any, there's only like one or two other sentences in the New Testament that would rub our culture more wrong than that. Yeah. There's some about wives. There's yeah. some about children. There's some about, right? Uh, so yeah. Because, okay. So first of all, let's take, let's take one thing off the table. Yeah. One thing off the table that I'm going to, that I'm going to take off right away is the concept that, that Paul was for slavery as we <coughs> tend to think about it today, which is human trafficking, right? Like taking, stealing people and selling them into slavery. This has always been against the Bible. You can read about it in Leviticus. It was evil then. It is still evil now. It, Paul thought that was evil. In 1 Timothy uh, 1 verse 10, he lists it. Um, in in um, Evils that lead to death. Evils that lead to death. Sorry, I was, re- I was trying to find it. That's why I right. slowed down. No, I was, yeah. He lists it in evils, evils that, that um, lead to death. So... Enslavers is in there. Human traffickers is in there, okay? First Timothy 1 verse 10, go ahead and read it for yourself, but let's take that off the table. Yes. Okay? So, but the 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 system of slavery in Rome was still very brutal. You could sell yourself into slavery. It was more of an economic an economic process, right? Like you can either you can either die of starvation or you can become a, a slave. You could sell yourself um, generally there was, you could, uh, you, you got paid and you could work up to buying back your salvation, become a freedman. Now, even if you were a freedman, a lot of times you still worked for your fo- former slave owner because there was just this client patron relationship that ended up kind of forming, forming and mm. happening. But it's not just here in Colossians that, that Paul encourages people to do, uh, to do that. I mean, we see in I'm trying to do this quickly, but I also want to do it justice. Philemon? Uh, we're going to get there, but no, oh, I'm okay. going to, I'm going to build the case first. You're build the case. Okay. I'll just, wait. I'll wait. First Corinthians, <laughs> uh, Right. In 1 Corinthians uh, 7, verse 21, uh, 
verses 22, sorry, 20 to 22, Paul says this, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? That means like when you, when you became saved, do not be concerned about it. And then he goes, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself the opportunity. It's not a bad thing to become a freedman. He's like, go ahead, but don't worry about it too much. <clears throat> For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman in the Lord. So God doesn't deal with you based off of your social standing. We see this elsewhere in the scripture. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile or slave or free or man or woman. God deals with you as an equal, an equal human, not an equal to him, an equal human. Hear what I'm saying. As a son of God, as Paul puts it, equal. Likewise, he who is free when called is a bondservant of Christ. Oh, we're all bondservants of Christ. We're all slaves of Christ. We all serve Christ because he's the one who bought us. He's the one who bought us. So uh, this is this is the, the, the genre that, that Paul is going down. And it's I love it because it's entirely offensive to us today. Uh, so it's, it's interesting because when so, something is offensive, it's really, it's, it's good to get down to the bottom of it. Okay, Ephesians 6, verse 5 to 9 also says, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling which we had kind of already talked about that yeah. phrase, which is interesting, humility. Yeah. With a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. <coughs> masters do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. All right. Okay. So. So. What are you saying? <clears throat> we know that Paul was worried about a few things. He was worried about people's faith being authentic and yep. then doing God wor godly works in an authentic way. And he was worried about the Christian witness to those in the world around him. Very clearly through reading these things, Paul is not about political societal reform or societal reform that comes from a political place. Otherwise, and neither was Jesus. Right? That wasn't Jesus's first mission. That's not the mission of the church here in the early church. It's, it's just not. Otherwise, Paul would be saying uh, things uh, like, like more things that would go against the norm. But instead, we see him working within the bonds of current society and encouraging people, you can be these things. You can be bound by your culture and bound by your society and still follow Christ. In fact, it's a good thing to do that because then you will be a proper witness. Why did I add that last saying? When you go to 1 Timothy 6, verse 1 and 2, it says this, let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. 
What would have happened in the Roman Empire if Christianity became the religion of rebel slaves? That societal reform or the, the quest for societal reform would have nullified the gospel because now all of a sudden you're going to have a whole class of people who were, are not willing. It's going to mar the name of Christ because Christ wasn't <coughs> about that yet. It's not about freedom in the here and now. It's about eternal freedom. It's always been about eternal freedom. Do you see what I'm trying to say here? All right. So Paul was was advocating being a good witness for Jesus Christ, for the gospel in the here and now, no matter what cast of society you found yourself in, even if you were a bondservant. Don't use the name of Jesus Christ as an excuse to launch a political rebellion or a slave rebellion against your master because our goal is to build the kingdom of God. It's to build salvation. It's to try to get people involved in the gospel, but he doesn't let masters off the hook, does he? Verse two says, those who have believing masters Oh, wait, okay, sorry, this is still talking to slaves, sorry, but we've already read, we've already read other verses that talk about bond, uh, masters being good to their bondservants. Yes. Because they themselves are a bondservant of Christ. But I'll read verse two just because I said I was going to. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. So Paul is saying, look, I know you're not really a slave. You're equal. You're brothers. Right. You're equal. But this is the situation that you found yourself in, in our culture, in our society. So do good within it. Be a proper witness so, for the gospel. Don't mar the purpose of the gospel. It's not about political reform at this stage. It's not about the release of slavery at this stage. It's about getting the gospel message out there. Right. Um, but but again, we've already divorced it from the, the, the concept of slavery that we often think about, right. which is stealing people and human trafficking and enslaving in that method that's always been against God's law in the Old Testament. And here now we can see it in the list of, of uh, sins leading to damnation in 1 Timothy 1 verse 10. We also need to talk about Philemon. Right. Well, we could right now. I just want to summarize what you're saying because you've been Please. talking for a while. I'm sorry. No, you're good. You're good. because right. But the economic structure, Paul wasn't going against the economic structure of the Roman Empire. Or even the legal he wasn't, structure. He wasn't trying to destroy the economic structure or the nope. legal structure or anything like nope. that. He said, okay, this is the situation we're in. Preach the gospel. Yep. Also, keep in mind, well, we don't have Paul's mind here, but... Thinking long game, mm -hmm. okay, as more people become Christian, then these laws no, need no longer apply because the Christians then can change the laws. Yep. So it's not about, okay, this rebel against this whole thing because the whole thing's wrong. It's okay. We're going to slowly work within our means, right? And mm -hmm. as more as Christianity continues to spread, the kingdom of God grows, then you have a ground to be a witness in different areas. And maybe you'll even have the ability to make legislation like, uh, 300, Christianity became legal. So there's different things that happen, that can happen along the way. So it's not just a matter of fighting right now. It's a multi-generational way of looking at reality. Yeah. So <coughs> that would be my thing to add on top of that. Is there anything else you want to add about Philemon? No, if we just think about the letter of, of Philemon, like really quickly, Paul, Paul sends back Onesimus, this runaway slave who it appears like he stole something, uh, probably money from his slave owner, from, from his owner, from his master, um, um, Fleeman. 
and then meets Paul in Rome, becomes a Christian, and Paul sends him back to Philemon to make amends. But it's really interesting how Paul sends him back with this letter advocating for Philemon to not give the death penalty to Onesimus because that was the, the, the legal ramifications for what Onesimus did. Runaway slave, stole money, should die. But instead, Paul advocates for Philemon to receive Onesimus back, verse 16, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Hmm. So it's just this beautiful picture of reconciliation and peace and and living as equals, even within the bounds that we find ourselves in, in our society and our cultures. And I think it's a it's a beautiful message that to keep the main things the main things, keep the gospel yeah. message free and clear of our our, our social aspirations right. um, or ambitions. Yeah. However righteous they may be or we may think they yeah. are, keep the main things the main things and the gospel the gospel. Right. I agree. Yeah. Totally agree. I think that's it, Corey. <laughs> Okay, that wraps up our discussion for today. If you have comments, uh, I, I hope you do. If you've got comments or questions, pop them down below. And until next week, happy reading, happy studying. Thank you so much for watching. We want to keep producing high quality biblical content, but we can't do it without your support. If you feel called to support us, please click the link in the description under donate. Your support really means a lot to us.